Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Um, being hungover on a Friday morning, uh, afternoon, whenever we're doing this, I've lost track of time, I'll be honest, um, is not what I was expecting. It is it's difficult to even see the, the light glaring off my uh, screen, speaking to Ian. You could, it could be worse, you could be doing it pissed up. Uh, as someone has in the past. So hungover is probably better than being pissed. Well, uh, it definitely is. Um, I would say I'm not far off it. Um, we went to uh, Turtle Bay. Me and my missus, like I was saying to you, went to get uh, the jerk chicken. So I've never had that before. We're going to get a burger. And then it's like an extra £4 or whatever for the bottomless brunch um, on top of the £35 that you normally pay to get whatever you want from the menu. So... Got the, the jerk chicken. Unbelievable. Uh, genuinely one of the nicest things I've ever had. Very spicy. And I'm not a massive spice man. But, yeah, very, very nice. And I absolutely devoured it. It's the first time in ages that I've devoured something and left nothing on the, the plate. Um, and Even the bones? Was, even, oh, we didn't, even I didn't have bones. Yeah, just chicken breast. Yeah, just ah, chicken okay. breast. I'm not, not a bone man. Um, oh, don't I take bones like you. Um, chicken wings. Chicken wings are better than chicken breast. It's debatable, debatable. Anyway, so we had this. We start going through the the drinks. Obviously, it's bottomless. Uh, it's any cocktail. So immediately, Long Island iced teas. So I think we've had about six Long Island iced teas before the end of the bottomless. We go to um, Roxy's and play the it's like crazy pool, which is basically crazy golf, but with pool. It's all right. It's nothing really to hit home about. It's exactly what you'd expect. Then we play um beer pong because i convinced meg to do it and she's obviously not a massive drinker usually um she loses quite heavily we smash the beers and then we decide by maybe eight and nine o'clock that we were too drunk to continue any further so we get a taxi home and, and picked up a, a mackies on where um go to bed wake up at about two in the morning so obviously you've, you've taken your, your drink with you um i think i had a bottle of lucid sports i'm sat there put it on side wake up at 2 a.m like oh absolutely gagging for a drink i feel really really hungover and it's not even morning properly yet so i reach over to get this drink uh pick it up pick the bottle up and try to drink it and i'm like fuck i can't get anything out of it so i try to unscrew the lid because the top feels right weird and i can't understand why try to unscrew the lid take the lid off and feel like i'm pulling a tube out of this drink i'm like what what on earth is going on here so i'm trying to drink it and i'm sat there like this is really thick I'm trying to drink this, Luke said, and for whatever reason, it seems to have got really thick overnight. And I'm, I'm thinking, but what is the taste? Because it doesn't taste like Luke said either. And then I turn my phone light on and realise... you got a milkshake? That... <laughs> it's, it's not a milkshake. Um, it's in my bedroom, just to preface this. So next to your bedside cabinet, you normally have like some intricate things, um, which we won't go into at detail. But when I realised that I've got in my hand and I've shined light on it. It were a bottle of lube that I was just drinking. That I'm like, what the fuck? And immediately ran downstairs. <laughs> I was just sick everywhere because I'd been essentially drinking. I must have had like a shot worth of lube. It were vile. Absolutely vile. You disgraceful bastard. Who just <laughs> leaves lube just sat on their fucking side? At least fucking stash that shit away. What if someone come? What if your mum and dad come round? Oh, yeah, there's my flashlight and some lube on the fucking side of your bedside table. Why would they be in my bedroom? 
like we've got three floors in our house, so they would have to go all the way up to the bedroom to purposefully see that. But yeah, literally, I've not eaten today at all, and I can't. I've brushed my teeth like three or four times. I cannot get the taste of this lubricant out of my mouth. Uh, you can see I'm drinking a Fanta fruit twist. That's not working. It just tastes like poison. Um, I've used a tongue brush to try. It's yeah, unbelievable. And then my missus is going out again today. I've created an absolute monster. She never normally drinks, does Meg? And next thing, she's doing two bottomless brunches in a row. She's on it. She's putting you to shame. And she won't be drinking any lube. So she's. Uh, she's well, I don't know. Maybe, sta- maybe if she's going to get that pistache on her side of the bed next <laughs> time and, and give her a taste of uh, your medicine uh, for, for the morning. Just before we do get into it as well. So this came in the post today. So I'll. We'll have to put a picture of it on our Twitter because obviously we're on a, a call here, so it doesn't look like and show it. But we were talking about autographed things the other week, and Ian's fantastic, um, very real autographed Swarish shirt. So for Christmas, for my dad, I've got him. Let me show you that. So it is from 2011. There was a special tribute dinner to Don Revy. And this is signed by, like, actually hand signed the certificate of authentication as well, signed by the members of the 1972 FA Cup winning team. Look at that. It's a pretty good present, that. I'm sure Quite impressive, done. isn't it? Could at least got, got him a framey tight cunt. Just I'm going to get him a frame with yeah, By the way, here's a piece of paper, Dad. Happy Christmas. Yeah, that'd be a real good present. I'm definitely going to get him. A, I'm not just going to give him this, whatever this is, like a piece of cardboard and just stick it to the front and be like, yeah, Merry Christmas. Where's my presents? But um, yeah, it, it, it we're just just showing you, just showing you on top of the lovely story that I've told you just then. Thought I'd tell you a heartwarming story about some signed piece of paper. <laughs> just what our listeners want to hear: you drinking lube and showing <laughs> pieces of paper signed by really old footballers that they can't even see. Sounds like a great start to an episode. Exactly, and a perfect segue because I would say that that is quite a bit, about quite chaotic. You know, a lot of chaos there. And uh, this weekend, we're probably going to see some more chaos uh, because uh, we're finally at the, the final event of the year, or final numbered event of the year. It's UFC 296, uh, Edwards and Covington. The shit talking had started last week. It's continued into this week. I think Edwards has got his number. Immediately, I'm going to come out and say it. I think he's got his number, and I think he knocks him out. Fucking pushed his limit last night, didn't he? Uh, in the in the um, Kelby, that is, um, I can't remember the exact quote, but um, there's an unfortunate story of Edwards. I believe this is when he was younger and lived in Jamaica. That his father was murdered, and um, Colby said something like, "I'm going to beat you so bad, you're going to go to this something weird that I've never even heard before, the seventh layer of hell, and meet your dad." I was like, mate, that is that is beyond that. Talk about lighting a fire under someone's ass to get their ass kicked, but that is that's below the belt. You don't need to be bringing that shit. Agreed. There's there's shit talking. There's Conor McGregor shit talking, which everyone knows he's famous for, and everyone who watches UFC will know full in, in how he, he deals with that and how he gets under people's skin. Obviously, you've seen Conor Junior try to do the same with Tony Ferguson in the same. Um, press conference and he was trying to get under his skin. I think he said that his watch looked like something out of a kinder egg, which was quite funny. Um, but when you talk, go into people's families and past, and certainly when people have died, it, it's for me, I hope that he gets his absolute head kicked in. He, he's one of these who is, I get why he does it. And I know we've talked about that. He's got this persona to stop him from being kicked from the UFC. 
but he's just a dickhead. Just an absolute dickhead. I mean, no one's rooting for him, are they? Like, there, there might not be a more hated person in the whole of MMA, probably, than Colbington. Um, I mean, you've got Edwards as the champ, uh, 21 and 3 facing off against uh, 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 Colbington, who's the second ranked welterweight contender with a record of 17 and 3. Um, for me, it all depends on Edward's game plan and how he deals with Colby's pressure wrestling. Um, he's effectively beaten twice a better version of Colby in Usman. So that's obviously a good sign. And his progression from that first fight to the fight we saw in London was was immense. And he got like the champion's bump. I've heard it referred to before that when someone gets, you know, is the champ, they just that extra confidence, that extra um, confidence in their own ability shows through. So I I would agree. Um, An interesting point I just thought was worth mentioning. Um, I know you're not really massively into Rogan, but Rogan had Daniel Cormier uh, on his podcast um, last week. I think it was before uh, the fight. So it's going back a little bit. But Cormier made an interesting point which he actually said, is there anyone in the sport that's done more with the least amount of ability than Colvington? Yeah, he's not big. He's not quick. He's not powerful. He's, you know, he's got no outstanding skills anywhere, yet he's been an interim champ and this is his third fight for the title. So, um, you know, Cormier is one of those guys that when he speaks, you've got to listen and... He's probably not wrong in a lot of ways. So you, as much as you hate Colvington, what he's actually done with his abilities and probably the work ethic to be able to get to that point is quite impressive. But we just want to see him get smashed, absolutely smashed by Edwards. Easy. I don't see any other way that the fight goes. I know that, and you're absolutely spot on, I know that it's all about the wrestling game with, with Covington, but Edwards has shown quite clearly that he's dealt with that. And he's dealt with that at a much higher level, as you say, with Usman. Covington's nowhere near Usman's level. He is a shit-talking waste of space for me. I I really don't like him. He's one of these fighters that really gets under my skin. And obviously, I don't have to deal with him on a day-to-day basis. And I don't have to deal with his comments about my family or all that type of thing. So I can understand entirely why some fighters would allow him to really rile them up. But Edwards has a very good camp. We we know that his trainers are very, very level-headed. There's the very famous video that you shared on our Twitter page um, yesterday of Edwards basically having lost the fight and was almost done. Head kicks Usman into next stratosphere. And that's all to do with the motivation, the coaching. And that's that's what's going to happen here. As much as Edwards will really despise Covington, He'll be kept level-headed. He'll go into this with a game plan and he'll knock him out. And he'll knock him out within three, I think. I think it'll be a harder fight than people think, but I do definitely see Edwards winning. Um, it it might not be great for Edwards if it goes to a decision because Colvington is is very good at, again, like winning rounds, getting on top of you, you know, not doing a great deal, but winning that sort of round stealing, as I always refer to it. Um, but... Yeah, the, the hope is that he can't deal with Edward's striking game, which, as you say, has been evolving ever since um, he's been in the UFC. Um, you know, I think it's an 11-fight win streak, something like that he's on. 
So, yeah, um, everything would point to uh, our English boy, Edwards, retaining his title and uh, staying at the top of the welterweight tree, I think. I mean, fingers crossed. It, and the best thing about this card is it's not just, and we've seen quite a few this year, uh, a numbered card where the main fight is fantastic and then the rest are sort of there for numbers sake. Um, a lot of these fights that are on the uh, the main card are exceptionally good and exceptionally exciting for a number of different reasons. Um, do you want to start with any in particular? Is anyone you want to? Well, co-main event is uh, Patoja, uh, flyweight champ, record twenty-five. Sorry, twenty-six and five versus uh, Roval, who is the number four ranked contender, record of fifteen and six. Um, they're both submission specialists, and Patoja already has a win by submission over um, Roval. Um, I had a quick look at their records. Uh, Patoja, in those 26 wins, has one win by KO. Uh, and Raval has uh, three. So it is not a fight I would expect to be fought uh, on, the, on, on the feet. Um, both will be looking to take it to the ground. And um, it's going to be a, probably a pretty high-level jiu-jitsu match. Um, I did see that Roval has already said that not only is he going to win, he wants an immediate rematch uh, against Patoja to settle the score finally because obviously he's won down. So if he did win and win the title, it would be a one-all. And again, depending on how that went, that fight goes, um, you could see an immediate rematch. Um, he also said that he's got unfinished business with the former champ, uh, uh, Brendan Moreno. So um, definitely pretty good um, co-main event. Don't think it's going to be anywhere near winning fight of the night. No, um, it's going to be one of those that's a little bit more classic. So for um, the more traditional fans, should we say, it's not going to be something that people are going to watch over and over again. It's certainly not going to feature on any highlight reels, I'm sure. But for the, the more traditional UFC fans and, and certainly jiu-jitsu and everything that's involved there. I think it's one of those to sit back and just enjoy two very skilled fighters. But I, I don't see any other outcome than Patoja winning it, in all honesty. I think he probably subs him. Uh, I would If I had to put my money anywhere, I think he subs him um, within four. I would agree. I think Patoja per sub. Um, I mean, the sleeper on the, on the fight for me is the third fight, which is probably, uh, personally, I would say could easily be fight of the night which is uh, Rachmanov, ranked number four in welterweight against Stephen Thompson. Uh, Rachmanov is 17-0, so undefeated against uh, Stephen Thompson with a record of 17-6-1. This one, the reason I say it probably be fight of the night is it's probably going to be a stand-up war. Uh, most of Rachmanov's wins have been by uh, KO, as have Thompson's. Thompson always struggles with wrestlers. I don't think, I could be wrong here, but I don't think Ragmanov is Dagestani, so has that ridiculous smothering wrestling game if he needs it. I have a feeling he might be from Kazakhstan, so you'd have a suspicion that he's probably got some Sambo uh, skills if it did go to the ground. Um, but equally, standing, and Thompson's 41 now, he's the oldest fighter on the card, he, he is getting on a bit, but he is still one of the cleanest strikers in the UFC and I think before he transitioned to MMA 
he had something ridiculous, like a 61 and zero kickboxing record. So, you know, Ratmanoff, as much as he's highly touted and very, very good on the feet, he might get a surprise if he decides to just stand and trade with Thompson because, you know, age is catching up with him, but Thompson is very, very, very good on his feet. Yeah, Rachmanov is is extremely aggressive. Like you say, he he usually tries to be on the the front foot. He's probably going to try and take it to Wonderboy quite swiftly. But on the flip side, Thompson is extremely veteran, or well veteran in these types of fights, and he's obviously been doing this a long period of time. How old did you say? What? Forty-one. Forty-one. Yeah. Um, There you go. I mean, it's never a good idea. Perfect age. (laughs) <laughs> in the final stages of his career. Um, it, it's never a good idea to try and take on a grizz, grizzled veteran just head on and think, right, I'm going to just knock you out. I've got too well, much power. At his own game as well. Yeah. You know, exactly. And as you say, if, if Rachmanov mixes up his stand-up skills with some wrestling, then you could see him taking him, maybe wear him down again. Maybe that age f- uh, factor kicks, it, uh, kicks in for Thompson and he, he tires in you know, second or third round, and that gives Rachmanov the chance to to put him away. But um, if I had, again, if I had to bet for fight of the night, that would probably be my contender probably on the card, I would say. And how many times have you seen Thompson fight back from a position where he looks hurt, it looks like the fight's over, and then yet he still finds a way to come out of it? There's a lot of um, times where he's looked as though he's almost certainly going to be submitted and he's fought his way out of it and, and got back into it. I get the feeling. I don't think you're wrong. I think it will be the fight of the night, but I don't think there'll be a stoppage. I'm, that's that's my controversial opinion on this. I think Rachmanov wins, but I think it'll go to the cards. Yeah, I, and I, I I could see that. Um, you know, that they're kind of the cancelling each other out, perhaps on the feet if it does stay that way. Um, and of course, it's only a three round fight, so. You know, it's it's going to be a close one, but that that is also potentially the the closest fight of the night as well in terms of guys skill wise, the way they're going to fight. Um, that that's you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Thompson spoil that perfect record. Equally, Rachmanov does seem to be the the rising star and looks the real deal. Um, so probably the sensible money would be on him whether that is by late t- TKO or KO or whether he takes it by decision. The sleeper fight of the night, which I don't think has got as much hype as I thought would have potentially amassed with regards to it is Ferguson and, and Pimblet. I think obviously there's a lot of stuff that's been going on in the background, which I'm sure you're going to get a, a big kick out of talking and I'll leave that and uh, the Goggins-esque part of it to yourself to describe. But I thought Pimblet would be far more on the aggression or the aggressive when it comes to um, insulting Ferguson and try to call him like at the end of his career. I thought Ferguson had a little bit, be a bit more, I'm not having, you know, the young up and comer talk to me like this. I've done everything that there is to do. I'm a, a legend of, of the UFC, a legend of MMA, but it just seems to be a bit tame. There was a bit of back and forth at the press conference. Like I said, he mentioned, I think Ferguson wearing this horrendous bright white, um, looked like a plastic watch. And he was saying it looks like it's something from a Kinder Egg. And yeah, and, and Ferguson was saying that there's no real 
lose for me and it's there's no real win for you in this and, and all that sort of stuff. But it just seems a bit tame. But I get the feeling that there's going to be quite a bit of back and forth on this one as well in the fight. And it might be that this takes over from Rachmanov and Thompson as the fight of the night. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so long ago, only probably two or three years that Ferguson was just a wrecking machine and was would fuck people up. There's, there's a few sort of famous memes of people that he fought and... You know, when he was on his uh, win streak, I think it was eight or nine uh, at the time, just le- left their faces a bloody mess. He has savage elbows that w- w- would cut people open. Um, his record's 20, 26 and nine. He might be on something horrendous. If it's not a six-fight losing streak, it's definitely a seven-fight losing streak. Pat Piblet's 20 and three on a four-fight win streak. We know a couple of those at least have been very, very controversial decisions and ones that we feel that probably the UFC have, have gifted to him because of the the hype behind him and, and the star power. Um, like you say, that probably the main talking point on this has been uh, Ferguson training with David Goggins. So for, for anyone that doesn't know who the legend who David Goggins is, is he is a former Navy SEAL Um used to hold the world record for chin-ups. Uh, he runs ultra marathons like the Moab 250. So like a 250 mile marathon through the uh, Moab desert. Uh, and he's just renowned for being in incredible shape. And Ferguson was training with, uh, trained with him. There was uh, videos and things of him online, like Ferguson, and who's always been incredibly well conditioned anyway, throwing up like puking on on the treadmill and on the stair machine while Goggins is just carrying on like normal. Um, And Goggins actually came out and said that Ferguson is the first person that's ever survived what he calls his hell week. So that's certainly a a feather in Ferguson's cap in terms of his um, physical attributes uh, I know a lot of people have been give, coming out and giving him stick and saying, has that taken too much out of him? Is he going to be too tired? But they've definitely tailed that off. You know, that, that all of that super hard training was probably three or four weeks ago. You know, neither of them, Goggins as a coach or Ferguson a fighter, are that stupid that they're going to be doing that in fight week. So that was to get that base. Uh, and a lot of it, and uh, I've got both David Goggins' books much of what he talks about is mental strength as well as the fit, putting your body through these things for the mental side of it. And that's what Tony Ferguson has come out and said that, you know, people are giving me shit, but this has taken my mental strength to a new level. Um, so that will be interesting to see. Um, again, it's probably going to be a, uh, a fight fought on the feet. Um Ferguson it has a very high-level black belt um, from 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. So if it goes to the ground, he's got the skills. Piblet is actually underrated on the ground. Also pretty good, to be honest with you. So it could be one of those fights that could go anywhere. And, and both of them probably have a similar relatively skill set. No, no one, I would say, holds a massive advantage over the other in any particular area. Um so it'll be an interesting one. So um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. But I, I think back to your point about the lack of abuse, I actually think this is one of those ones where for a change, Piblet might have um, been humbled a little bit. And there's there's an element of respect that he's fighting uh, Ferguson. And rather than just come out and 
necessarily bad mouth and talk shit like he has before. Personally, I, I could be wrong. I think there's an element of respect from Piblet there, knowing that he's fighting, you know, I wouldn't quite call Ferguson a legend, but he's certainly an absolutely grizzled veteran that could, if certain things didn't go, there's an infamous um, p- point back in history where he was going to fight for the title. He was doing an, an interview in the um, UFC studio and he tripped over a wire and fucked his meniscus in his knee and put him out like the day before. Uh, and he never seems to have quite recovered in terms of getting the fights or that losing streak. But there was at one point when Ferguson was just a destroyer, just he was ripping through people and certainly someone you didn't want to, you, you wouldn't have wanted to fight in his prime. So I think there's a little bit of respect there for Piblet. And the one thing I would say is I've seen Piblet say this and I've seen other people say it. It does kind of feel like a lose-lose fight for Piblet in that if he wins, people are going to be like, well, you just beat an old Tony Ferguson who's on a seven-fight losing streak. Um, And if he, you you know, if he wins, people are going to sort of shit on that. And if he loses... um, because of Ferguson being unranked, it doesn't really do anything for him. Whereas if he was fighting someone a lot higher ranked and loses like a close decision, then there's still some credit that comes out of that. So it's it's a strange one for me because as I, say, I, I would say no matter what the outcome is, I don't really see a particularly good outcome for Piblet in this, if I'm honest with you. It's more of a... On to the next one, isn't it? If he wins, it's it's certainly good to have Tony Ferguson on your record, if that's what we're saying there, and that's the biggest positive to come out of it. And it's to show that he does have the skills to cope with that level of pressure, maybe. Because I don't of all the fights that he's had. I mean, you look at Paddy's uh, fight record. You know, Levitt, Gordon, Vargas. They're not big names, other they're not names that people think. Oh no, Tony Ferguson. Oh, I know Tony Ferguson. Um, Whereas, obviously, coming into this fight, there's a lot more pressure. And certainly with that on his back as well of, look, if you don't win this, then where do you go next? Um, Whether it's lose-lose for you, and if you do win it, no one really cares. If you lose it, you're absolutely knackered here because people think that you can't even be a grizzled grizzled, uh, veteran. But when it comes to Ferguson, he's never really been the same after the the Chandler face kick um, where I think it was 274 wasn't it where he just booted him and his face imploded but even before that he picked up the three losses um, starting all the way back at, at 249 but the people that he's always fought and this is the difficulty that I've got with Ferguson apart from Bobby Green and no disrespect to Bobby Green but I think Ferguson should be putting away Bobby Green you look at his record of the the six losses before this one just engage you Oliveira, Darius, Chandler, Nate Diaz, and then Bobby Green. They're big, the majority are big names and people that are always involved with big fights. So it's not as though he's gone... Yeah, there's there's no, you know, five of those people you just rattled off. There's absolutely no shame in losing to any of them. Oliveira, Gagey, people like that. He's fighting the elite of the elite. It's not like he's been fighting bums. So it it can be slightly deceptive, the fact that he's on this, this losing streak. And... To be honest with you, Ferguson should probably fancy it. But equally, if, if, if he does lose, then I wonder if he's done for him. I, I don't really see a way back. I wonder if even the UFC could cut him uh, being on that kind of level of losing streak. 
He's always been the type of guy that stepped it a couple of times. He stepped in in short notice. So Dana might, Dana always appreciates fighters that do that. So he saved a couple of fight cards in that respect. So that may well help him. But um, yeah, that, that's a good, 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 good fight. So definitely one that's not um, going to be a bad one to watch. Disappointing one for me, to be honest. Obviously, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but only broke yesterday is Ian Gary is off the card. So Ian Gary, quick turnaround, hyped prospect, uh, is off the card. He was fighting um, Vincente Luque, but he has pneumonia. So he's off the card. I don't know if it's been 100% confirmed. I'm on it, I'll be honest, because I saw it was getting talked about last night and I haven't checked today, but they were talking about Kevin Holland stepping in as a late replacement for, for Gary against Vincente Vincente Luque. And again, Holland may have lost a few, but that motherfucker is game. Yeah, he'll take anyone at short notice. Um, And uh, I mean, he infamously got his ass kicked by Stephen Thompson, super high level black belt. The obvious thing to do would have been taking Thompson down and sub him, stood there and said, come on, all right, I'll be at your own game. Got his head kicked in. But um, yeah, that that I, I, I've got to be honest. I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but that was the rumours that they were looking to to try and keep Vincente Luque on the card by putting him up against Kevin Holland. He'd said, I think he'd done a, an interview with Helwani, did Gary, and he basically said that it wasn't his choice to be taken off the card. It's the doctors that have decided. Look, no chance. Can't put you in here. You got your pneumonia. Out you go. I actually got notified of this and I feel like we've got to be careful in talking about this type of thing but notified this because my friend sent me a message saying uh, we'll just get his uh, his wife's uh, ex-husband to step in on his behalf instead uh, because I'm sure he'll take the fight but um, yeah it is it's a disappointment because I like Ian Gary I like whenever he fights and the fights that he was involved in are always exciting to watch but I suppose it is what it is I'm sure I'll be back next year um, probably eyeing up 300 to be honest. Yeah, just a shame because he was on a bit of a roll. He'd obviously had a couple of victories. He was, you know, gathering momentum, building. If you'd, you know, they were both quite evenly matched. Luke's ranked 10, Gary 11. So if he'd won that, he probably would have gone up a fair few places and it was just building nicely and he'd been very active this year. So it's just a bit of a shame for him, really. Um, moving on, there'd been um, a deluge of fight announcements this week. Uh, for future uh, events. So starting off with uh, UFC 298, which I have a feeling is in February. Um, Henry Cejudo versus Dashvili, which is a very, very good fight. Um, Dashvili is undoubtedly the second best um, featherweight in the world. He should be fighting... um, Sugar Sean, but um, for some reason, obviously, this is the one where Dana hates him because he said he wouldn't fight Sahujo because Sahujo was his mate. So uh, Dana, as we know, holds a grudge, uh, but there's there's no way in the world that you can tell me in terms of recent performances that um, Cheeto deserves the shot above Dashvili, bar the storyline in the background, which is obviously Cheeto is the only person to have beaten should be Sean. Was it Sahuja that were his best friend? I thought. 
No, it was, um, sorry, did I say Sir Hujo? Sterling. Yeah, I was Yeah, that would have been weird. Um, but yeah, I, I agree though. I know we, we've been over this previously that you've got to fight whoever's in front of you. If, for example, if I were the champion and you found out that there was a chance to fight me for the, the belt, um, the fact that you smile not, he- not a moment's yes. hesitation in my fucking mind am I beating the fuck out of you to take my keep my title not a chance I was just going to say it looks like you, you're willing to do it without a belt or without any sanctioned fight I'm so. going to meet you in the car park now but, uh, but I, I just feel it's one of those things that they talk about a lot and I, I get that and I, I, in some ways I admire that 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 you know we're friends we're bros we've been through all that shit let's do it but if you are at the same weight in training partners and you are both elite, there has to be a realization at some point in the in in the future you could fight. And I just think it's a bit naive to ignore that. And there's been plenty of people that have done this in the past where you put you you, you put that aside for fifteen minutes. Doesn't mean you're not friends anymore. It's just that this is our job. If we've got to fight, then that's how it has to be. And as I say, I, I'm kind of split because I, I really respect that level of friendship from Dashville and that loyalty. But equally, I think it's very, very naive and it's come back to bite him severely on the arse because I think even if he rolls through Suhujo, he's, let's be fair, it's ageing, he's taken a bit of time out, he lost his last fight, I think, as well, so he's coming off a loss. You could easily see Dana still not putting him against Sugar Sean because of that kind of vendetta. So he's kind of been the the, the architect of his own downfall, really. But as I said, I, I can absolutely see both sides of it. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I'd say is if your best friend is competing at the highest level, I mean, football's different and it's not a, a type of spot where I'm going to get punched in face, etc. But the amount of top-level footballers that you see that are really good friends in the England camp, for example, but will play against each other on a regular basis in the Premier League, they don't fall out at the end of it. It's 90 minutes because that the game is the game. You enjoy it. If anything, it's more competitive and it's funner to compete against your friends because yeah, at the end of it, it's like, ah, I beat you. Even, it's not even remotely the same thing. I, I hear what you're saying, but it's not... Playing against someone, and even if you stick in, stick the boot in on a few heavy tackles, is not the same as going 15 minutes in a fucking cage fight, is it? I, I think it I see your analogy. I think I don't. I think that I don't think you can compare the two. I, I, I see you see your point, and I, I understand it. But I think fighting is very very different in that respect. We've also got uh, another uh, title fight. Well, not title fight, but a. Uh, a fight with title implications that has been announced. Um, funnily enough, on the back of what we were saying last week as well, uh, with regards to the heavyweight division. We have. So we've got uh, Jai Ilton, ranked number seven uh, in the heavyweight division against Curtis Blades, uh, number five. Um, we talked about this, that if Bl- uh, Blades could be at some point the next opponent for Aspinall because... Um, Aspinall's only loss in inverted commas um, is the injury suffered to Blades uh, in London. Um, Dana, since I made my notes as well, has come out yesterday as part of the conference and said, Jones is not fighting Aspinall next. That is not happening. He is still fighting Stipe. And if they don't want to do that, they don't want to do that. But what he did say, interestingly, which lines this up, is 
if Aspinall wants to stay active, and I thought it was a bit stupid the way he said it, and said, defend his title, we won't stand in his way. Well, he's got the interim title, not the real title. So it's kind of bullshit, but it definitely lines up that if you're Curtis Blades, um, you should be fancying the fact that if you can beat Jay Elton, I would very much think that that would be the next fight on the cards for, for Aspinall. Uh, Aspinall, I'm sure, would want it. Blades would get a shot at the interim title, so why would he not want it? Um, so it makes uh, a huge amount of sense. And also for that card, that's UFC 299, by the way, we didn't mention that. Um, another good fight announced is uh, Gamrot versus RDA, so Rafael de Sanjos. So that's another decent fight uh, at lightweight, uh, which has been announced. RDA's fading a little bit. Gamrot, as we said, is um, good um, and is one of the only people that has lost to... Um, I can't remember who we were talking about last week. Um, do you remember we were talking about... Mate, I don't remember where I am. I, I made that clear at the start. Oh, of the t- Armin. Our man, we can't, we can't pronounce his name, Armin. Uh, the only person <laughs> that Armin has lost to, aside from Islam, is Gamrot. So Gamrot is very, very good. But beating a fading DeSanjos doesn't do a great deal for him, if you ask me. It's interesting to see quite a lot of fights getting announced in that sort of, you know, two... 97 to 299 range without anything further on 300. I, I get that there's still plenty of time to build it up, but I thought we'd have heard something by now, like somewhat concrete. I think a lot of it, to be honest with you, is 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 because there's some of these decent fighters are on these cards, they're waiting to see how the fights pan out and whether there's injuries involved. So a classic one for me would be Volk. Volk's at 297. If Volk rolls through to Pura, uh, with hardly any injuries, I think that almost guarantees him a spot on 300. Obviously, if that's a bit of a war and they both get dinged up, then that probably puts him out of that. So I feel like the UFC are kind of holding their cards close to their chest for that, trying to see how the, the lay, lay of the land, if you like, by the time it gets to that, before trying to make any announcements. But you, you're going to have to start seeing some soon, I would have thought. We expect it will be about... Uh, April or May, so you would think January, late, maybe February, they're going to have to start making announcements. But um... if not before, I, I feel like you've got to start. It, it's a centenary card; it's the biggest event in God knows how long for the UFC. I feel like you've got to start hyping up as soon as twenty twenty four comes around. Uh, I get but that because it's so event. big. I don't know if it needs much hype. The centenary cards, because they are, I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree, but I feel like they sell themselves because everybody knows the UFC are going to stack them out. So, um, I, as I say, that, that would be my own personal view, is the UFC are, are waiting a little bit, seeing the lay of the land, see what happens, um, and, you know, we'll start to see some announcement as time progress. Final thing I've got on, on MMA, which is quite a big one in some ways, certainly for, for us UK viewers, is uh, Sky Sports have signed a deal with 1FC. So I've mentioned a few times, obviously, 1FC, um, how I like the uh, format that they bring uh, in terms of multiple sports on the same card. So they have MMA, Muay Thai, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu. 
And I feel like Sky have finally realised, shit, we've got a massive hole in our sports programming here, which is we don't have any MMA. And no one gives a shit about Bellator. No one really cares about the PFL, and I think they're in deals anyway. So 1FC um, outside of in Asia is a huge promotion and is certainly the second biggest promotion outside of the UFC. But they have been, a lot of their fights are either on their YouTube channel or some of the bigger fights are on Amazon Prime. So I feel that this is a really big deal for them to bring exposure to them uh, to to England and for, for, for English fans to, to, to see that mixed format, but also for Sky to plug a little bit of a gap where I feel like they fell behind a little bit behind TNT Sports and DAZN and other uh, broadcasters where they haven't got any any sort of genuine MMA on there. So um, interesting to see how that one pans out. They tend to fight on a Friday night, 1FC, and because a lot of their events are in Asia, they are usually quite good times for British fans. So like a lot of them might be in either Singapore or Tokyo, where it's say 12 hours ahead. So they're usually pretty watchable. So you could see quite a lot of Friday night programming from Sky Sports based around 1FC events at a kind of seven, eight, nine o'clock time, which is kind of primetime viewing as well. So uh, I'd be interested to see how that pans out. And I think that's a good deal for both parties. Yeah, and they're starting the coverage uh, with one fight night 18, which is January the 13th, which I think is a Saturday. I don't know if it's like an early morning Saturday, which would be in line with what you're saying in terms of they do on a Friday night. Um, and it's Superlek fighting Elias Mahmoud on that card. Uh, Superlek like is obviously fantastic. Won the last super fight against Rotang. Um, some of the best kicks in Muay Thai. Absolutely astonishing power. Uh, and again, it will hopefully bring that wider side of combat sports to UK fans that I'm always banging on about in terms of Muay Thai and high-level jiu-jitsu matches as well. So, yeah, I, I, I was really excited about that uh, announcement. I think that would be really good for British MMA fans and hopefully take MMA in this country to, to the next level again. The best thing that's happened football-wise this week, Ian, is that I've won another competition because I am clearly all about the Twitter competitions. It must be like the fourth, fifth or fourth competition I've ever won on Twitter, or X, whatever we call it now. Uh, and the second one this year, obviously, I won all the stuff with uh, saying that Volk was my favourite fighter and UFC gave me a load of merchandise. I won a free, free copy of Football Manager 2024. I haven't installed it yet. And in fact, I'm going to do it immediately after this. But... What a week. What an absolutely unbelievable week. What a gimp who enters uh, Twitter competitions. And I love you always like, I've only ever entered four and won all four. Uh, that smells distinctly like bullshit, I would say. I didn't say I've only say, entered four. I think I've uh, entered about seven or thousand. Rounds, but... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you've if got this secret vice of entering into Twitter, Twitter competitions or you're the luckiest man alive and you just win every one that you're in. And I don't believe the second is the truth. Weirdly. So I, I try to enter the ones that are overseas as well. So ones that give away, you know, computers and they give away a brand new Xbox uh, and all this sort of thing. And they're normally by American companies. 
and then I always do it. And at the end, I realize that there's like subtext that says only for people who live in the 50 states. Blah, blah, blah. So I never win those. But whenever it's a UK based one, I've won VIP tickets for Leeds United. Now, obviously, I've got a season ticket. So uh, that wasn't fantastic. I won tickets for Leeds United, even though I've got a season ticket. So I just I give those to family. Um, I won obviously all that merchandise from UFC, which took an absolute age to get here and there were loads of issues and complications with that but then football manager 2024 that's the best thing i've ever won i don't think i could ever beat that that's class i mean obviously it's the, it's the evolved version of champ manager as i used to play and spend hours as um as a kid i can't lie you know great game but for me there has to be a point when you realize it's the gaming equivalent of crack um i haven't played it for years <laughs> And I know that if I did buy it, I would be sucked back into that world uh, again. So there's certain times that as you grow up, you realise you, just, you just need to stay away. If you're a crack addict, you just can't do crack. And I was just an absolute champ addict as during my teens and early 20s. So uh, I just stay deliberately away from it because I would lose days of my lives. Uh, I, I, I told it. you. When I used to play, so I haven't played it in a while. I think the last one I had was 2020 or 2019. Um, so I'll definitely end up, it's free, so I've got to play it. But I used to take it so seriously that like, if I ever got to a final, I would dress myself up in a suit. I'd be, be stood, so I'd be like this. I was so I was hoping you were going to tell there. this gimpy story because this is literally one of the <laughs> gimpy. I, I look back and I think the gimpiest champ manager moment, I would say, was when me and three mates at uni got a one of my mates then this is back in the uh, so the early uh, 2000s this was got uh, an in-game editor and we added the three of ourselves as 19 year olds to Exeter and made our gave ourselves 20s basically on everything and we took Exeter from like the third division to be in European champions based on the three of us just being amazing. I always look and say, that's my saddest, gimpiest moment with champ. When you told me you dress up in a suit, I was like, fuck me, that beats it by a mile. I literally would put like the full tie on. I'd be, I'd pace around. I'd be stood there with my arms crossed, just being like, actually give it like whenever a, I'd do anything on the game, so give out some instructions. I'd go click it and click it, and then I'd stand back and I'd be pretending to shout it. I'd be like, fucking oh, come on, get in a fucking box. Yeah, I'd absolutely. I still love it, though. That it's one of those games that, like, unless you are, and again, how many men that we're talking to, again, I'm sure the majority of our listeners are men, probably have played champ. You ever get someone that doesn't understand or play champ, or particularly a women look at it, they're like, what the fuck is this nonsense? You're not doing anything. You've got the quickest thing flashing on the screen because obviously all pro champs have it at the quickest speed. And people are like, what are you doing? And you're like, I can read every word of that. Your eyes get so used to the speed at which... All I need to see is is the flashing bit at the bottom when you've scored a goal. goal. That's literally it. That's literally it. That just makes my day. Unless Uh, it's obviously... I've lost days, days if not months of my life as a champ manager uh, over the years. So uh, you have to let me know how it's evolved, if it's, uh, you know, considerably different, because I get the feeling it's still probably at the heart the same. But I know the last game, I, I did, I'll be honest, I did buy a version of it 
for my iPad something like three or four years ago. And there was some tweaks that very small tweaks they'd made, like more things to do with press conferences and stuff like that, that never existed in the original game. Um, but I mean, I had one mate just to go off on a tangent here, the same one of the mates that had the editor. Now you talk about GIMP. He was the ultimate gimp because he was a Spurs fan. My Spurs fan, mate, I talked about. That's all you need to tell me. (laughs) He would, this is a whole new level. He would manage the under 21s and the under 23s. He'd drop players down into them so that they'd be in form to then bring them up into the other leagues. And he'd set his own training session. I was just like, mate, you, that's, I just wanted to play and win. Do you know what I mean? That I do a little bit, I can't deny, I do a little bit of training in the background on particularly certain players that you wanted to improve certain aspects. I would do a bit of that. But for me, it was about the games and winning. This guy would go like super deep. So you say Gimp, I would say genius because that is such a good idea. And it's not something I've ever thought about before. But when you get on your iPad, just because you mentioned that you, you got that, it's a different game. So there's, I think there's three different types of football manager now. There's football manager touch, which is the iPad and um, tablets, etc., and phones. Oh, sorry, phones is football manager mobile, so those before versions. There's football manager console, and then there's football manager. The depth in football manager is completely unmatched in every other version. I'd never played football manager um, properly until university. I'd always got the touch versions or the mobile versions. And the difference in what you can do, so like you say, the under-23s and uh, things at the side and the training sessions and the press conferences. And obviously, since you've played it, it's now got VAR in it. So you can see it flash up saying goal and be like, oh, get in. And the next thing, it goes to VAR and it gets cancelled out and you sat there absolutely livid at VAR, like in real life. Um, But obviously, we all know that I'm fantastic in terms of my football predictions. And clearly... I've been right about Villa as well because I predicted Villa are going to finish top four. They are unstoppable at this moment in time. I've never seen a team take to the Premier League in the way that they've done this season and batter it, essentially. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we watched some of the game, didn't we, on um, on Saturday uh, before the Christmas party and um, comprehensive. They looked really decent. Um, the week before, they'd obviously comprehensively outplayed uh, City as well, so that's two in a row. Um, they've got the best home record in the league, and actually Arsenal before this had the best away record. But um, it was a pretty good game from what we watched. We watched the majority of it, didn't we? Um, and Villa deserved it, and they don't look at the moment like there's any time in or uh, any chance of them slowing up, um, you know. And your prediction of them being a top four challenger. Um, Every week looks more and more proficient. Yeah, and weirdly, I said to you before the game, I actually thought Arsenal would win it 2-1. I thought they'd be quite comfortable and went against my own prediction, which, silly me, I should know by now that I'm always right. So I think the best thing that we saw of that is that you play them at the very end of the season. So there is a very significant chance that they might derail your title hopes if obviously Liverpool keep going on as they are doing. Uh, another win for you this week, playing well um, in certain aspects, but without playing outstanding. And as you keep saying to me, it's a sign of champions. Yeah, I mean, obviously we beat Palace um, 
it was a game really totally changed by the red card. Um, we didn't look very good at all. It was a very harsh red card, I would have said, for Palace. And I could probably understand them being a bit frustrated um, with that. Um, but that was definitely the change. Um, and um, so we're, we're doing... Um, as soon as, as soon as soon as the red card happened, it looked... Uh, we were all over them. I think we scored within 90-odd seconds of, of, of the red card. Um, and then we didn't have a lot of chances, to be honest with you, but we did have a lot of pressure and you could tell it was coming. Uh, Harvey Elliott, very good goal uh, to win it. Um, and one thing I did read, which was quite a surprising stat, given how everybody would always talk about Fergie time, is uh, Klopp took the record from Ferguson. So Ferguson had the record of the most wins coming after the 90th minute with 16. And with Harvey Elliott's goal, uh, it took Klopp to 17. So that was quite a a surprising stat for me. I can 100% believe that because of the fact that Liverpool seemed to get the referees help in every single game that they play. Uh, And obviously there's a lot of VAR decisions that go their way and a lot of time added on just to make sure that they win, just to keep them in the the title race. But no, it's it's another good win. Uh, I know I I jest a lot and take the piss out of you quite often about you saying it's a sign of champions, but it is. And to continue the role that you're on, even though some of the games look like they're slipping away from you, to then pull it out of the bag is always a good sign. City have been struggling to do that in the last few weeks. Um, Obviously that changed against Luton, but if you can continue with that, that little gap between City can grow, can grow, can grow a little bit like, as we've seen in the Championship with Leeds, Ipswich and Leicester. You see Ipswich and Leicester continue to pull it out of the bag from absolutely nowhere. As soon as Leeds slip up, that gap is now, it's 10 points to second and it's, even at this early stage, looks to be potentially insurmountable. I disagree with that as a Leeds fan, obviously, but it's the same for Liverpool. If you keep winning, Arsenal slip up, you've got City potentially slipping up every so often, you're going to start to build a gap and it's going to look quite healthy by Christmas. And because it is the closest league that we've talked about, teams are going to be dropping points around those top five or six. But I'll tell you now, given how bad the season was last year, given that Jürgen got a lot of flack for his transfer market and you know dealings and people sort of saying, ah, it's not really that great, you know, you should have gone for Bellingham, etc. You offered any Liverpool fan on the 15th of December to be top of the league, they would have snapped your hand off. Um, so looking very, very promising. I still think the target for you this season has to be top four. I think the title's obviously, if it's there and you get to your March time and there's an opportunity to do it, brilliant. But I think realistically, if someone said to Liverpool and said to Klopp, obviously you're top of the table, so you wouldn't take it now. But if you said at the start of the season, here's top four, Guarantee Champions League football next season, go from there. I, I would be almost certain that at least 95% of Liverpool fans would say, yeah, agreed, take that. Yeah, yeah. And and if we if we can stay in contention so that, you know, that we're in with a shout, as it were, and at least challenging, I wouldn't disagree. Top four definitely is still the target. But if we can at least run Arsenal and City close, um, you know, we know what City are going to do. You know, it's going to come round to March and April and they're going to go on that ridiculous run. They've got De Bruyne to come back in, I think, January. 
So that's going to give them uh, a big boost um, uh, as well. Um, so I think, again, no, no one's getting carried away uh, that, you know, the title's in the bag as yet, but it's a very good sign. And as you say, we just keep seeming to grind out those results where last season we undoubtedly would have lost. So um, it's just a case of cliches all over the place, really, but taking each game by 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 game, winning, just uh, accumulating those points. We topped Europe, our group, which we'll maybe come on to and discuss briefly, but that gives us a bit of an extended break so we don't have to play an extra game uh, in the Europa League. So that gives us a little bit more time to focus. I'm not really bothered about the um, domestic cups. Quite happy for Jürgen to put out youngsters in those and concentrate fully on the league and, um, you know, go for Europe a little bit because obviously, you don't, one, that is a trophy. It's the only one he hasn't won for us. But two, if you win it, you also get in the Champions League as well. So... Um, they would be the, certainly the two priorities for me as a Liverpool fan. FA Cup and Carabao Cup, I couldn't really give a shit about. I also think, to be honest, a lot of English clubs will be wanting Liverpool to go all the way in uh, the Europa League because obviously the way that it works, if you can get qualification through that, I believe that fifth place then qualifies for the Champions League. Is that how it is? Did we did we do this last season? I think we did this. Yeah, I think that's how it works. I think that's the only way it can work, isn't it? Is if it's the Europa League winners win it, which obviously you would have to finish in top four, which you will do. Um, um, but... uh, it, it, it is is the case. So, um, but I mean, moving on to on to Europe and, and the Champions League. I mean, we won't go into huge detail because it was the final game weeks. Um, real shame, man! You knocked out of Europe, bottom of the table. Don't even make the Europa League. What a shame that was. He said, Ten Hag said it had been a good campaign as well in Europe. And I know he's got to say that. He can't come out and say, you know what? These are all shite, these players. What, what am I even doing here? And there's rumours, isn't there, that the um, new owners that are potentially coming in are looking at Graham Potter to replace him. So that would be interesting because obviously he did fantastically at Chelsea with unlimited funds. Um the only but, thing I'm going to say on that, because obviously he did have a terrible one, but you blew my mind the other day. Give us a little pot of stat that you uh, uh, that he has won more games in 2023 than Pochettino in the Premier League, which is crazy if you think about all the shit that Potter was getting and what a terrible manager he was, and how Poch was the you know the Messiah, and even though they've not been doing well, he's going to turn it round. That blew my mind. That stat. Ridiculous. Um, and the, he spent more money as Pochettino as well. And he's amassed a ridiculously overhyped and overpriced squad, which I think I, I saw that Nkuku is back this weekend for them. So that's obviously huge. And that might change the fortune slightly or significantly yet to see. But the, there's a lot of failures that are happening that seem to be just brushing under the carpet. Obviously, we discussed that Man U... Uh, around the top four constantly. They don't seem to be fading away despite their horrendous uh, season thus far. They're now out of Europe completely. I don't know if that's a good thing to be out of the Europa League so they can focus on the league. Um, You had, obviously, Newcastle, uh, another team who hyped up quite significantly. And yes, they were in the group of death and they knew that going into the Champions League, but almost there and then they blew it. So they, they, yeah, they were up. so close as well, weren't they? So close to coming second and then um, ended up blowing it. 
Um, you had Lance with a, a, a night in, in Arsenal groups with a, a 96th minute winner, uh, which put them third above Sevilla um, into to put them into the Europa League. So that was a good result for them. Uh, and the, probably the, the most shocking one for me, not the result itself, but was Copenhagen beating Galatasaray to come second in that group over Man U uh, behind Munich. Um, and it's, you know, Copenhagen usually do relatively always qualify for the Champions League. I can't remember the last time that they probably qualified for the last, if ever, for the last 16. Yeah, I, I no idea. Um, they're one of the teams that, the only reason that I know them is because I always liked the kits that they had on FIFA. I always uh, tried to get those on Ultimate Team and, and wear those. Um, I think that the other stat, just to point out, was that City became the only team are the only English team to win all six group games since I believe it was you. Didn't you win all? We did it uh, not that long ago. Champions yeah, not League. that long yeah. ago. Yeah, not that long ago. Uh, to be honest with you, we did it. But um, yeah, I, I think they're the only team in the whole competition this year that's won all six games. So, uh, and they actually put out a horrendous team. If you looked at it, full of youngsters. Calvin okay, Phillips, all, God. Uh, <laughs> way that. They're, uh, you know, they're away to red starts and not exactly the best team, but still a, a good result for them. Uh, I mean, on that day, so that was Wednesday, you had Antwerp beating Barca. And now Barca were already qualified in some way, so I think they, they weren't too bothered. But uh, Antwerp beating them 3-2 uh, was uh, a relative shock. Um, obviously, we've talked about um, Newcastle getting knocked out. Um, and that, that turnaround means that uh, AC Milan went from the bottom of the group um, up to third. So they now, I think, are in the Europa League. Dortmund and PSG both qualified from that group uh, to go into the, the, the last 16. The other one, just before we move on from Champions League, there were Porto and Shakhtar, and that was 5-3. It ended up to, to Porto. Uh, there's a clip that I retweeted, and I can't remember which account I've retweeted it off, but essentially, Shakhtar had been... So the ball had come through. Shakhtar, a winger, had collected the ball. The referee puts his flag up, offside flag up. So the Porto players stop. They continue. They score. And then the referee goes to VAR and sees that it wasn't offside. So they give the goal. It is one of the most ludicrous things I've ever seen. I've no idea why the referee allows it to continue when the flag goes up. Because surely you can't. But the the biggest argument that came out with it was, oh, we should be playing to the whistle. Why would you play to the whistle if it's been flagged as offside? Without I, I didn't see that, but I mean, again, that was a kind of winner goes through type of result. And uh, again, who doesn't love an eight goal thriller uh, like that? So um, that was uh, yeah, that that put Porto through with Barca in their group into the last sixteen. Uh, I mean, good uh, day on Thursday for the British teams. So, I mean, got to mention Brighton qualifying for the last 16 and coming top of the group uh, in their first ever European campaign. Very Difficult very group as well. Difficult it was, group it was a difficult group. Um, equally, you had West Ham and Liverpool both winning their groups as well. So all three of them get that little extended break that I mentioned um, that they don't have to play an extra qualifying round uh, against the teams that have dropped down from the Champions League. So that's good for them and their season. Uh, Leverkusen continue their very impressive form that we keep talking about with a, a 5-1 win. 
And you'd have to say, again, all bias aside, of the teams left, Leverkusen and Liverpool, plus whoever drops down from the Champions League, probably have to be the favourites for the, for the for the competition, don't they? I don't care when you play each other, but I need that game. I feel like I have to see a draw of Leverkusen and Liverpool because that would be... I mean, that, that's, 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 that's the final, isn't it? I mean, in, in, in an ideal world, that would be... On the without the teams from the the Champions League dropping down, they're the two best teams in it. You've got the historic Ch- Chabi Alonso Liverpool sort of side of things, and they are the two best teams by a mile uh, on paper in terms of players as well. So that if you had to again, it's just one of the again cliche, but that's that's the final for me. If you could choose a final uh, to see, that would be a very very worthy final to watch. That or Liverpool West Ham because obviously. You know the Premier League aspect of things, and obviously it'd be nice for you and your dad to watch that as well. So I mean that would um, be good, but we've got no Stevie G to rescue us with a thirty-yard <laughs> thunderbolt this time, like the two thousand and six FA Cup. So uh, I might be a bit more worried. But um, got McAllister to put it in from thirty-five yards. So don't that's very that. true. That is very true. Um, I mean, final point for me on football, unless you've got anything else, was um, Cellini retiring from football. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, absolutely. Fantastic servant to the game. One of the last, what you'd call old school defenders, you know, loved defending, would throw his body on the line, would class a goal line block, like a goal, celebrate it like a goal. Um, and uh, as, as I say, an amazing servant to you over the years. So um, I know he'd gone out to America uh, for the final sort of season of his uh, career, but um Fantastic player. Yeah, and will go down as a legend in Italian football. Still look like him, um, obviously, for uh, Euros, and that will live long in the memory constantly. But yeah, there's there's no denying what a legendary player he's been, and he he deserves his place up there in uh, Italian defenders. A slow week, as per, for boxing. It it just seems to be um, not that much to talk about at this moment in time. We've obviously got... I think next week, a lot more to discuss. You've got Wilder, Joshua and all that jazz. And there is rumours that Wilder and Joshua have finally agreed to a date, which will be February next year. Um, so fingers crossed that all happens. I was going to mention that one. That's as long as they both win in the, yeah. the day of reckoning, that fight so what is that allegedly means is that signed. Joe Parker is going to spark out Wilder and ruin it for everyone. So we wait all this time and then something like that is inevitably going to happen. Um, the only other things, uh, we'll talk about Haney and um, Progress in, in just a second. Um, Big Reggie, as we uh, coined him last week, um, setting a fantastic record. But again, we'll come on to it. Clarissa Shields, I've got to mention this very, very quickly. Um, we'll probably get sued for it because she said that any mention of the the sparring footage is going to result in legal action be taken. So this footage came out of, um, I think it was Artas Ahmetovs was his name, uh, around 2018, sparring where he absolutely drops her with a, a very sweet left hook, uh, I may add. Um, she has completely lost her shit about this. I, I don't know why she's sparring with people of the opposite sex and I don't know the intricate details of that and certainly don't profess to know anything further but it's clearly a sparring issue they've had um, a few spars before this footage has come out of nowhere I don't know who's released it 
it has set the internet ablaze. She's come out and said that she's going to sue anyone that shares it. He removed the padding from his gloves, and that's why he's knocked me down so viciously. He's a cheat. She started threatening to stab people. I just completely lost her head. But I, I'm not sure what you would expect from this type of situation. We've always had the discussion, and it's not a sexist comment to say that if you put a male and female in a combat sport, more often than not, this type of thing is going to happen because of you know issues that lie outside of skill set and, and, and such. So this coming to the fore and her reaction has been ridiculous. I just wanted to get your opinion on it, really. Yeah. Um, the best way I can describe it is she went full Joey Barton, didn't she? Just in terms of an absolute Twitter meltdown about it and clearly was very upset about it. I mean, clearly that the footage is <laughs> pretty uh, comprehensive in that um, she gets laid straight out. But yeah. Uh, the the fact that she's come out and got so angry and agitated about it has probably drawn more attraction and heat to it and and, and more comments than if she'd maybe just kind of been like, oh, I had a bad day, caught me with a sweet punch, can happen to anyone else. I laid him out, but there wasn't any footage of that. There, there's many other ways that she could have handled it than going full ballistic and threatening legal action for anyone that shared it and good luck on that by the way once something isn't in the public domain good luck trying to recall that and sue every person on twitter who's shared that or whatever but uh just yeah she just lost her head she she's clearly very upset and just just gone mental about it it doesn't help that she is very much a loud mouth as it is so everything that she says up until a certain point i'm the guar of boxing I'll knock out anyone, I'll do this, I'll do that. So when something like this comes out, I don't know where it's come from. Um, I don't know if it was him posting it himself, uh, Arthur Amatars, who who isn't a very good boxer, by the way, I may add. He has a very, very poor record. And I think that's what's garnered the most attention from this, that a low-level boxer has been able to, you know, quote-unquote, spark out one of the greatest women boxers of all time. But if she approached it, as you say, in a... A jokey manner. Oh, this knob. Yeah, I thought this might come to um, Frey at one point. No, it's just what we do. It were a little bit of nonsense. You know, he caught me with a good punch. That's it. But it isn't. She is completely, as you say, gone Joey Barton on it. So we'll see what the reaction is. But I don't think she's gained any fans whatsoever from this. Um, there was real boxing at the weekend, however. Not sparring. And this was Devin Haney and Regis Pregrius. Um just an absolute mismatch, as expected. Haney was on top throughout. He got into his rhythm. He looked untouchable, put uh, Regis down in, in round three, and the punch stats showed how dominant he was. He outlanded, uh, outlanded his opponent in every round of his fight, um, became two-weight world champion at just 25 years old, and big Regis set a very, very unwanted stat. He did need, since uh, CompuBox started, he landed the least punches on an opponent ever, which was 36 in the whole fight. Uh, and I saw that two judges gave Haney every single round. So it doesn't get much more comprehensive than that. It's just, he's outstanding, um, it is Haney. And 
it looked that way and it looked like this was what would happen as soon as this fight build-up began where Regis was like, ah, I'm going to spark him. I'm going to get through to him. You know, I, I'm gonna, I've got power. But actually, thankfully, as most fighters do when they come out and they've been humbled, he did seem extremely humbled. He said, look, he's, he's very good. He's much better than I thought he was. I thought I could get to him. I absolutely couldn't. I thought he were a soft puncher, but he sparked me. And I was like, I think his quote was, uh, I was down after he punched me. And I thought, what the fuck has just happened? So he, he clearly is everything that people are hyping up to be as Haney. And I think we, we we both kind of agree with Haney that um, he's got two options, really. One is to stay at that weight and take on Teofimo Lopez, who is the only other champion that you would suggest would give him potentially uh, a fight. I think what we both personally believe is he'll jump from 140 to 147 into the deep waters with the big sharks at welterweight where you've got your Errol Spences, your Crawfords, your, 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 your people like that. Now, personally, I think either of those fights are a step far too big, far too early for him, but welterweight is where the, the you know, the, the, the money fights are at. And there are some other decent fighters there that you could give him and feed him a couple more fights before you put him against one of those two. And of course, the longer that goes, he could do a bit of a, a Mayweather uh, that both Spence and Crawford aren't getting any younger. And you never know, he might be able to catch one of them as they get a little bit older uh, a few years down the line. But if I, I, I'm stuck in the middle in terms of 50-50 on what, what he'll do, whether he takes on Lopez uh, at 140 and then vacates and goes up, or he just says, fuck it and goes straight up to 140. Last bit then, just with regards to, again, some bit of nonsensical as we always seem to talk about it. We had AJ criticising uh, Fury this week, saying that uh, it was a big win for the bodybuilders when uh, Nganu had basically outclassed him. He said that he thought Nganu had won. He said that he made Fury look like a fat slob. I think his exact quote was. And he dismissed that this, this fight was out in the cold between him and Fury, but did admit that it's unlikely to happen anytime soon. And by the time that it does potentially happen, it's probably completely done in terms of the hype. Obviously, the uh, fight with Usyk will take place early next year. There'll be a rematch, so Fury probably won't fight again next year. And then, you know, are, are we really going to be clamouring for an AJ Fury fight in 2025? 20, or is it just completely done? I mean, I think it's done. I mean, one thing I did read, a final point for me just on boxing, is that Eddie Hearn did, Eddie Hearn claimed, didn't he, that his team reached out to Nganu to see if he was interested in terms of AJ fighting Nganu uh, and never heard back. Now, I don't know how recent that was, if that was like the day before he said that, so he's not giving him a chance. But Nganu has gone very quiet since the comments he made about not wanting to fight anyone except the rematch. Uh, with uh, Fury. So um, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know why he's gone so quiet. I mean, his uh, star power is at the peak now. So if you were coming out and you were trying to, uh, you know, Ingarn is not a shit talker. He's a man of action and, uh, you know, does what he just needs to do rather than talk. But if you were going to be coming out and starting to say a few things, trying to hype a few fights on the back of the Fury fight would be the time to do it. 
And it's kind of surprised me a little bit that he's been as quiet as he has been. Um, you know, it's not in his nature to be bombastic in that respect, but I feel like if he was trying to sell some fights and, and get some of these big extra, you know, 10, 20, 30 million pound fights, he probably could have been a bit more active in terms of interviews, social media, etc. But maybe he's just chilling out for a while and maybe he'll explode back um, after taking a little bit of a rest. But we'll have to wait and see. We will indeed. Right, I am going to get off and I am having to take my missus into town. As I say, she's... Uh, and then is it back to bed uh, and another Drink massive uh, sick, sick of lube? Is it uh, a bit more yeah, lube? Yeah, I am going to uh, do it. Uh, I'm going to pour myself another shot out. Yeah, I'm going to pour myself another shot out. Um, I might have some crackers with it just to give it a bit more flavour. Um, but obviously, nice. perfect little Friday treat for me. Perfect little Friday treat. But as always, thanks very much for listening. And we'll speak to you next week.